Welcome to Public Domain Video Theater, brought to you by the great detectives of old time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're going to bring you another episode of Dragnet. This first aired on television May the 14th, 1953, based on a radio play from November the 1st of 1951. It was season two, episode 26, and the title is The Big Lease. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. It was Wednesday, February 6th. We were working the day watch out of Homicide Division. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. We'd gotten a report that a wealthy retired businessman had suddenly disappeared. We had two possibilities to work on. Suspicion of suicide, suspicion of foul play. There was no lead to the man's whereabouts. We had to find him. nothing down there on him at all. She you up yet? Yeah, she's in the captain's office. Did you talk to her? No. I don't know if she's going to be much help, though. Miss Banner, I'd like to have you meet my partner, Sergeant Friday. How do you do? Joe, this is Miss Banner. I'm sorry I wasn't in when you stopped by. Got your card and called in as soon as I came home. Well, thank you for coming in, Miss Banner. We have a few questions we'd like to ask you. It won't take very long. We have a communication from a Gladys Dillon back in New York, Miss Banner. It's about her brother, a Chester Dillon. We understand you rented his home from him out on Ralston Avenue. Mr. Dillon? Well, yes, I've got a two-year lease on his house. Rented it from him last November. Well, according to the letter we got from Mr. Dillon's sister, she's worried about him, hasn't heard from him in some time. Have you any idea where we could contact him? Well, the last I heard, he left on a trip to New York. It was about eight weeks ago, I'd say. You see, I usually sent the check for the rent to the apartment he had here. When he left on his trip, he told me to hold on to the rent checks and he'd collect them when he got back. How long did he say he'd be gone? I don't remember definitely. I think he said four or five months. He didn't leave any forwarding address, any place you could contact him back in the East? No, he didn't. He just wanted to get away. Didn't want to be bothered with anyone. Wasn't feeling very well. Very depressed, poor man. Well, why was that, ma'am? Would you know? Well, his wife died just a few months ago, you know. No, ma'am, we didn't know. All his sister wrote was that she hadn't heard from Dylan. She was worried. She didn't give us any other information. Oh, yes, Mrs. Dillon died in uh, last September, I think it was. Poor man felt terrible about it. Couldn't seem to get over it. That's why he rented the house to me. Reminded him too much of her. I see. Lovely home they have. Mr. Dillon said he didn't really want to rent it, but he couldn't stand being alone in the house. It's a large place, you know. Yes, ma'am. We checked with the people living in the house now. I understand you leased the place to them last month. Is that right? I subleased it, yes. You see, it just got to be too big for me. It was nice at first, but it got to be an awful lot of work. I rented it to this family and took a smaller house down the street. Would you happen to know any of Mr. Dillon's friends in the city, Miss Banner? Anyone we could contact who might know where we can locate him? Well, I don't know. He didn't seem to have any friends. He and his wife had been in the city only a year before she died. He was retired, you know. Yes, ma'am. And we talked to some of the neighbors out there. They couldn't tell us much about Mr. Dillon. Maybe some of the people he did business with might know something. Have you tried the neighborhood bank out there? I know that's where Mr. Dillon had his account. No, ma'am, we haven't. 
I can give you the bank's address. It's about all, though. That's the only contact you know of, huh? I'm afraid so, yes. I didn't know much about Mr. Dillon's private affairs. Whenever I talked to him, it seemed the only thing he had on his mind was his wife's death. Just couldn't seem to get over it. Seemed like he didn't want to get over it. You mentioned that when you leased his home, Mr. Dillon took an apartment. Do you happen to have that address, Miss Banner? I don't have it with me now, but I have it at home. I can call in and give it to you if you like. If you would, please. Certainly. Well, thank you very much, Miss Banner. You have our card. When you hear anything from Mr. Dillon, we'd appreciate it if you'd call us. Surely, I'll call you right away. Do you think something could have happened to him? Well, it's possible, ma'am. We don't know. All we have is the letter from his sister. It does seem kind of strange, doesn't it? He wasn't feeling too well. I wondered why he hadn't contacted me about sending the rent money to him. Such a nice man, Mr. Dillon. Certainly hope nothing's happened to him. Now, you say he was very depressed about his wife's death, ma'am. Would you say that it was getting to be a little abnormal with him, maybe? Well, I wouldn't know about that, Sergeant, but I do know he brooded about it all the time. He felt he'd lost everything. Didn't seem to want to go on. You ever give any idea that maybe he might take his own life? I mean, brooding over his wife? Oh, no, nothing definite. Just depressed and moody all the time. Now that I remember it, the last time I saw him, he did say something kind of funny. Yes, ma'am. What was that? It was the day before he left. We were talking about the rent money, and I asked him if I couldn't send it to him. Got kind of a strange look on his face. Yeah. He said, where I'm going, I won't need the money. The day before we called on Lucille Banner for an interview, a letter had been received from a Miss Gladys Dillon in Elmira, New York. The request was routine. It was one of thousands of similar letters received every year by police departments all over the country. Each one of them has to be worked out to the satisfaction of all parties concerned. The person who's reported missing and the person who's looking for them. It's an enormous job requiring thousands of man hours annually. Like the dozens of other investigations handled by the police officer, some of them end happily, some of them in tragedy. Whatever the result, the finding of a lost person is just as important a function of your local police department as any other investigation. Gladys Dillon hadn't heard from her brother recently. She was worried about him. She asked us to investigate. Our initial interview with Lucille Banner, the woman who'd rented Chester Dillon's home, failed to yield much of a lead as to his whereabouts. The only source of additional information she could offer was the neighborhood bank where Dillon had his account. One o'clock that afternoon, Frank and I drove out to interview the manager of the bank, a Mr. Harrison. Oh, yes, that's right. Mr. Dillon's had his account with us ever since he came to Los Angeles. I know him quite well. Is there something you'd like to know about him? Yes, sir. We've had a request from his sister in New York. She'd like to locate him. Well, I'm pretty sure his account's still open here. Matter of fact, I'm positive it is. Just a moment. I'll have the clerk get his file. Thank you very much. Thanks. See, this reminds me, Joe, i got to go to the bank tomorrow. That's up? Yeah. Payment on my car's past due. I only got two more to go. You're in fine shape. I got eight more to go. I'm not in fine shape, Joe. Two payments to go, and already Faye wants a new one. Never fails. Here we are, Sergeant. Just as I thought. Mr. Dillon's account's still open. Uh huh. Have there been any recent deposits or withdrawals on the account? Well, let's have a look here. Uh huh. Just as I thought. Nothing since he left on his trip. The last withdrawal date was November 27th. He mentioned to you he was going on a trip, huh? Yes, that's right. I think he said he was going back to New York. You see, his wife died recently. He didn't take it too well. Did he leave any instructions about his account with you, Mr. Harrison? Any address you could contact him at if you had to? No, he didn't leave any instructions with me. No address. It's justification trip. He said he didn't expect to be gone too long. Did he mention how long it would be? Five or six weeks, I think that's what he said. I happened to talk to him about it because at the time he made quite a sizable withdrawal. I thought maybe he was a little unhappy with our service. Mm -hmm. How much was the withdrawal, sir? Well, let's see. Yes, here it is. 
November 27th, he withdrew $2,400. Was that in cash or in traveler's checks? Let me see. No. Show us here that was in cash. Mr. Harrison, you said a minute ago you knew Mr. Dillon pretty well, huh? Yes, that's right. He used to stop and chat with me whenever he'd come into the bank. That was usually once a week. I didn't know him socially, though. Uh-huh. He mentioned he seemed to take his wife's death pretty hard. What would you say his mental condition was the last time you saw him? All right, I'd say. Just after his wife's death, he wasn't in very good shape. He brooded about it quite a bit. Then he began to pull out of it. Seemed to be in a fairly good frame of mind. He planned his vacation, looking forward to it. I see. Well, what do you ask? Something wrong? No, sir, not that we know of. Routine check, that's about the size of it. Does Dylan have any other real estate besides the house on Ralston Avenue, would you know that? Not to my knowledge, no. He has no other business connections in Los Angeles. But here are all his references right here. You see, most of them are charge accounts and so forth. I remember the time he opened his account with us. He told me he was retired. He and his wife came out here for their health. Have any relatives out here, do you know, Mr. Harrison? No, from what I understand, both of their families are in the East. They don't have any children, according to his application. Very few relatives. And since Dylan was in here last November to make that withdrawal, you had no communication from him at all, huh? No, sir, I haven't. Well, what seems to be the trouble? You have an idea something might be wrong? Nothing definite, no, sir. We've been told about his feeling depressed over his wife's death. There was some indication that he might possibly have done away with himself. But after what you've told us, it doesn't seem likely. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't like to commit myself. As I say, he did seem to be getting over it. I didn't know that well, though. Might be entirely possible. He was devoted to Mrs. Dillon. Maybe he could have taken his own life. I don't know. Well, it leaves a big question to answer. What's that? Why do you need $2,400 to do it? 1.25 p.m. We continued interviewing the bank manager, Mr. Harrison, but he was unable to come up with any further leads. Before we left the bank, he gave us a complete list of all of Chester Dillon's references. We gave him our card, and he told us that he'd pass along immediately any information he might get on the whereabouts of Mr. Dillon. We went back to the office where we got a call from Lucille Banner. She gave us Dillon's last known address, and we drove out to check it. It was an apartment court in the Pico Crenshaw area. We talked to the manager, and she told us that Dillon had moved out three months before, on November 22nd. He told her that he was moving in with a close friend of his, and he gave her his forwarding address. It turned out to be a single-story frame cottage located in one of the older residential districts of the city. The name on the mailbox read, Raymond L. Schaefer. We rang the bell, and a man who identified himself as Raymond Schaefer ushered us into a small living room. He told us that he was from the same town in the east that the Dillons came from, and that he was a longtime friend of theirs. No, I haven't seen Chester for months. Last November, I think it was. That was the last time I saw him. You say at that time Dylan was living in the apartment in the Crenshaw area, Mr. Schaefer, huh? Yeah, that's right. You mean he never came here to live with you? No, it's just like I told you before. He talked about moving in here with me, but he never did. I haven't any idea where he is. Well, he gave your home here as a forwarding address, Schaefer. Have you been getting his mail? Yeah, matter of fact, I have. He told me he was going to do that. Never came to pick it up, though. Seemed funny to me. You still getting his mail here, is that right? Yeah, it's still coming. Not much of it. Maybe a letter a week. Mostly bills and advertisements. Well, now, that list of names you've given us, sir, those are all the people in the East that Mr. Dillon was acquainted with, people that he might contact back there on his trip? Yeah, that's all of them. As far as I know, he hasn't been back there yet, though. Well, how do you know that? I got a letter from my sister Gert a couple of days ago. Chester was in town. Gert would have known about it. He would have been sure to stop by and see her. Do you have any idea at all where he might have gone? Did he mention how he planned on traveling East? Well, I think he said he was going to take the train back. He doesn't own a car. I know he doesn't like to fly. Well, when he was talking about this trip, Schaefer, how was he feeling? What would you say his mental attitude was? Not too good. He's pretty much down the dumps. That business about his wife dying, he 
took it real hard. That the way he impressed you the last time you saw him? Yeah, he was way down. I kept trying to cheer him up. Never did seem to do much good. Did he ever give you any indication he might try to take his own life or anything like that? Well, I, I don't like to say it, but as a matter of fact, he did. He used to talk about it all the time. Said life didn't seem to be worth living without Sarah. Uh, that was his wife, you know, Sarah. Yeah. Did you have any idea at all what Mr. Dillon did with his clothes and things after he moved out of the apartment? Anybody he might have left him with? No, he really didn't have much to tell you the truth. After his wife died, he sold most of his stuff, just had his clothes and a few personal things. Have any idea what he did with those? I wish I could help you tell you the truth. I'm getting a little worried about him myself. Now, just one more question, Schaefer. You know if Dillon was in the habit of carrying large sums of money around with him? No, I don't think so. Chester was pretty cautious that way. He wasn't too free with a dollar, you know. Would you happen to know if he had a large sum of money with him the last time you saw him? No. If he did have, he didn't mention it. I see. You can't think of anything else that might give us a lead on Mr. Dillon's whereabouts. Anything at all? Well, I think I told you everything. Wish there was something I could tell you that helped. Sure hope nothing's happened to him. Yes, sir. Wonder if you'd mind showing us the letters you're holding for Dillon. Oh, they're right here. Yeah, that's all of them. Thank you. Anything? Oh, not much. Bills and circulars. Here's one with a New York postmark, Elmira. Probably from his sister. Union Department Store, three days old. I'll take down these return addresses. Hey, Schaefer. Yeah? The suitcase here, the initials on it, CLD. Yeah? Well, CLD, is that your bag, Schaefer? Oh, I, I forgot to tell you. Chester left that here one day. How was that? Well, that was one day just before he was going to leave on his vacation. He brought it over here and said he'd like to leave it here with me. I got to mention it to you. Mm-hmm. Did you bring anything else with him? Yeah, he brought another suitcase with him, just like this one. I got it in the other room. He said he wanted to leave him here when he was on his vacation. Sorry, I forgot to mention it. Well, maybe you forgot something else, Schaefer. What? Most people take their suitcases with them on a trip, don't they? Two fifteen p.m. We continued questioning Raymond Schaefer. We opened the suitcase labeled with the initials of Chester Dillon and found an assortment of personal items which Schaefer told us belonged to Dillon and his late wife. Cigarette boxes, books, similar articles which apparently would not be taken on a vacation trip. We came up with a small photo of Mrs. Dillon along with exemplars of her handwriting as well as her husband's, which we found in the suitcase. After we left Schaefer's home, we checked him through R&I and found that he had no criminal record. We checked further with friends and acquaintances of both men and found nothing to indicate that Schaefer was in any way involved in the disappearance of Chester Dillon. 3.30 p.m. We called the office and found that there'd been no answer so far to the broadcast and the missing persons bulletin we'd gotten out on Dillon. We started checking the references given us by the bank. First was the Union Department Store. It was located on Main Street in the south end of town. We checked with the credit department to see what information we could get from them. Yes, here's the account on the Dillons, right here. Chester L. and Sarah J. on Ralston Avenue? Yes, ma'am, that's it. What information would you like, officer? Well, we're trying to locate Mr. Dillon, ma'am. Has there been any recent change of address on that account? Well, I know there hasn't. Have they moved, do you know? Well, we don't know that, ma'am. We don't know the present address. We do have an outstanding bill of theirs, I noticed. Sent them several form letters. We've been trying to contact them ourselves. Are there any recent charges on that account, ma'am? Let's see. No, nothing too recent. The last charge was made on December the 5th. Thursday, December 5th. Hmm. That's two weeks after he disappeared, Joe. Yeah. What does that account show there? What did Mr. Dillon buy? Well, Mr. Dillon didn't buy anything. Ma'am? The slip was signed by Mrs. Dillon.
4.15 p.m. As soon as the clerk in the credit department at the Union Department store showed us the sales slip with the late Mrs. Sarah Dillon signature on it, we had the date on the sales slip double-checked immediately. The date, as shown on the slip, was correct beyond any doubt, December 5th. That was little more than two and a half months after Sarah Dillon had died. We had no idea who the person was who forged her signature or why they'd forged it. The amount of the charge purchase as shown on the sales slip was for $418, all of it for women's clothing. We attempted to check with the sales girl who handled the purchase, a Laura Van Kirk, but we were told it was her day off. We called at her home where they told her she was gone for the day and couldn't be located. They said she'd be at work the following morning. 5.10 p.m. Frank and I took the sales slip with the forged signature on it and drove back to the office. We went directly to forgery detail, briefed them on our findings, and gave them the sales slip. The handwriting samples were checked against the signature on the sales slip, but neither of them matched. The work of compiling a list of all known female forgery suspects was begun immediately. The following morning, Frank and I went back to the Union Department store where we interviewed the sales girl, Laura Van Kirk, who'd handled the purchase. Yeah, I remember making a sale officer. I'm not too sure about the woman who bought the things, though. I mean, what she looked like. Well, could you try to describe her for us, Miss Van Kirk? Just as well as you can remember. Well, she had light brown hair. I'm pretty sure of that. Not too old, maybe in her late 30s, early 40s. Plain-looking woman, about five feet five or six. Thin as I remember her. She wore glasses, I remember that, too. I see. You got that picture, Miss Dillon, there, Frank? Oh, yeah, sure. There. Thank you. What if you mind taking a look at this photograph, Miss? Does that look anything like the woman you waited on? No, no, that's not her. The woman I waited on was much younger. She had light brown hair, too, not gray. She wore glasses, I'm sure of that. Do you remember if there was a man with her, or was she alone? No, she was alone. Now that I remember, there was something very different about the glasses she wore. I don't know if that's important or not. What about her glasses, Miss? Well, they were horn-rimmed, as I remember. Very light color. Transparent green, I think. Very smart-looking. Well, let's see if I have this right. Light brown hair, slight bill, late 30s, early 40s. Wore horn-rimmed, transparent green glasses, huh? That's right. Check me if I'm wrong, Joe. That description sound familiar? Yeah, just what I was thinking. Horn-rimmed glasses. Woman came to see us at the office, huh? You got it. Lucille Banner. back to the office and had Lucille Banner check through R&I. She had no criminal record. Then we drove to the home on Ralston Avenue, which Chester Dillon had leased to Lucille Banner, and which she in turn had sublet. We obtained a copy of the lease which the Banner woman had with the current tenants and which bore her signature. We brought the copy of the lease downtown, gave it to Don Meyer in handwriting, and asked him to compare Lucille Banner's signature with the signature on the sales slip we'd obtained from the Union Department store. Homicide, Smith. Oh, yeah, Don. That's so? Yeah, right. Thanks a lot. Don Meyer. Yeah, what'd he get? Says there's no question in his mind. Yeah. Both signatures match perfectly. What the reason was behind Lucille Banner's forging the signature of Mrs. Dillon on the sales slip, we didn't know. Whether or not it had any connection with the disappearance of Chester Dillon, we didn't know. As soon as we got the handwriting report from Don Meyer, Frank and I left the office immediately and drove to the bungalow which the Banner woman was renting on Ralston Avenue. It was a block down the street from the Dillon house. Lucille Banner wasn't at home, but a gardener in back of her house told us that she was expected back shortly. The gardener, who identified himself only as Al, volunteered that he also did gardening work for Miss Banner when she occupied the Dillon home. He'd also worked for the Dillons when they lived in the house. 
He told us that he liked the Dillons quite a bit, but that he didn't have much use for Miss Banner. He seemed to be up on all the news in the neighborhood. Can you tell us anything about Mr. Dillon, Miss Banner, Al? How'd they seem to get along, do you know? Well, they get along all right, I guess. When I worked for Mr. Dillon down the street, Miss Banner was always asking him down here. He'd be here, oh, maybe once, two times a week. Miss Banner would ask him to come over, cook dinner for him. Uh-huh. Miss Banner likes him, I think. Mr. Dillon, well, I don't know about him. He wasn't feeling so good. Still thinking about his wife. You mentioned you don't like Miss Banner very much, Al. Why is that? She ever give you a reason not to like her? Well, she's a little crazy, I think. You're a funny woman. Used to watch me all the time, follow me around, tell me to do all kind of crazy jobs. Of course, she give me good pay, so I do them. How do you mean, Al? What kind of crazy jobs? Well, like the compost box for the fertilizer, you know? She wanted me to build one for her in the backyard. Well, you can see it. It's right back there in the greenhouse. Uh-huh. You're a crazy woman. She wanted me to build a compost box in the greenhouse. Had a special place marked for it. Oh, who ever heard of a thing like that? To build a compost box in a greenhouse? It's crazy. You built it for it, did you? Well, yes, but not inside the greenhouse. I built it outside the greenhouse, right next to the greenhouse. But when she came out and saw it, she went crazy almost. Called me names. Real crazy. She made me tear it up, and, and she made me build it inside the greenhouse, right on the place she had marked for it. That's funny, then. Yeah. When did all this happen, Al? Would you remember when you built that compost box, I mean? Mm, about two months ago. Yeah, about that. Yeah, I remember it was just after Mr. Dillon went away. I tried to tell Miss Banner, who ever heard of a compost box in a greenhouse? But she wouldn't listen. She had to have it built on a certain place right in the greenhouse. A little piece of ground in there. The box had to go right on top of it. Mm-hmm. You figured she acted a little strange about it, do you? You'd think she had something there. A little piece of ground. You'd think she had something to hide. <laughs> p.m. Lucille Banner returned home and Frank and I went inside the house with her where we questioned her in the living room. Outside in the yard, the gardener Al continued working. Lucille Banner was calm and composed. We questioned her about the forged signature on the sales slip. She would admit nothing. The whole thing's too silly to even comment on. I don't know what you're talking about, Sergeant. We think you do, Miss Banner. Our handwriting man's checked the two signatures a couple of times. The one on the sales slip, the one on the lease. They both match. Now, what about it, Miss Banner? There's no way out of this. You ought to know that. I'll deny it, that's all. I'll keep on denying it. I wasn't in that store, and I didn't forge any signatures. Why would I do a thing like that? What kind of a woman do you think I am? All we know are the facts, ma'am. Now, why don't you give us a straight story? It's going to save time and trouble for everybody concerned here. You've heard everything I've got to say. This thing's ridiculous. It's stupid. I'm not answering any more questions. Afraid you'll have to come downtown with us. What good is that going to do? I'll just keep on denying it. You can't make me say that I did a thing like that. All right, Miss Banner, let's go. All right. Al. Yeah? See you a minute. Sure. Oh, hello, Miss Banner. Al, what's this all about? What you trying to do? Just a couple things we want to check here in your backyard, Miss Banner. It won't take us very long. You have no right to be here. I'll call my lawyer. Call him as soon as I get to a phone. Yes, ma'am. What are you trying to prove? You have no right to be here, no right at all. Yes, we have, ma'am. What? Did you kill Chester Dillon? Did you kill him? All right, Al, you got a shovel? Yeah. Compost box in the greenhouse. You want to start digging? All right.
is an old man. So old. And he was sick. Ma'am? He didn't want to live anymore. He didn't have any reason for living. Why shouldn't he give me the house? Why shouldn't I have his money? I was nice to him. Cooked for him. Wanted to take care of him. He just didn't want to live anymore, that's all. All right, Al. You can stop digging. You want to tell us, ma'am? He needed a woman. Anyone could tell that. He needed me. We got along fine, Chester and I. I offered to marry him. He wouldn't do it. All he could do was think about his wife. She was dead. He'd sit around and talk about her all the time. You killed him? Is that what you're trying to say? I wanted to marry Chester, take care of him. He wouldn't do it. We had an argument in the kitchen one night. I had a gun. I killed him. I killed him. Is that where you buried him, in the greenhouse here? Yes, I buried him deep. The gun, too. He'll be all right. Poor Chester. Yeah. He was so old. He needed a woman. Anyone will tell you that. He needed me. I guess you made a mistake there, didn't you? No, Sergeant. He did. Yeah. He didn't want me. June 2nd, trial was held in Department 86, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. The suspect was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. definitely not list this as one of the all-time great Dragnet episodes. Still, it's a good episode and a very solid mystery story, beginning with a very puzzling problem and using modern police methods, or modern as far as 1953 is concerned, to work through the mystery and get to the truth. They did even manage to have a red herring in here about the luggage. And this is one of those things that on another show it would have been a clue of some sort of malfeasance. In this case, it's just some stuff that a man didn't want to take on vacation. The killer's most bizarre decision was her method of trying to dispose of the body. Not only did she do it in a way that made the gardener pretty suspicious, but who 
buries a body on property that you're renting. Because in reality, you have so little control over that property. So eventually, she would have been caught. Even if the sister hadn't placed the call that got Friday and Smith investigating this. At any rate, that will do it for this week. If you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives, or over on Twitter at radiodetectives. And if you enjoy these videos, become one of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.